1: Today I wanna talk about the student debt crisis and the debate over whether to forgive or cancel a huge chunk of student debt. This issue is either a perfect subject for plain English or a terrible subject for this podcast because it's really, really complicated. This is a story about finance, about macroeconomics, about debt burdens, progressivity versus regressivity in public policy, but in the biggest picture, This is a story about the American dream. It's about how we as a country treat people who want to move ahead in the world and how too often American policies punish people that they mean to reward. Because this issue can be so emotional, I I thought it might be best to begin in the realm of facts. So here are 10 facts about student debt in this country. Fact number one, how big is it? Well, in 2006, when I was smack dab in the middle of my college education, there was about $500 billion of student loan debt. That was a lot. Today there's 1.7 trillion. The difference is equal to the total amount of credit card debt in America. To state this very plainly, since I went to college, U.S. student debt has increased by an amount equal to total U.S. credit card debt. That is insane. Fact number two, why is this number growing so fast? I could do like a 30-minute segment on this. I probably will do a whole episode on this later on, but the upshot is that more people are going to college, and college costs are rising faster than basically any other service in America. So more people trying to access an increasingly unaffordable product equals a shit ton of debt. Fact number three, how many people have student loans? Well, among households led by someone between 25 and 38, basically millennials, About 40% of those households have student loans. That number, by the way, has doubled since the 1990s. Fact number four, how much do they owe? The median, typical student debt for college grads, is about $20,000. The average that you sometimes see reported is about twice as high, closer to $40,000. You're like, why is the average so much higher than the median? And that brings us to fact number five. It's higher because one-third of student debt, one-third, Is held by the 6% of borrowers who owe more than $100,000. Now, those stories, people who owe more than $100,000 of student debt, they often take up a lot of airspace in the media. They're more likely to be cover stories in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times. It's an important part of the picture, but remember, it's 6% of the pie. Fact number six what groups are most likely to have debt? It's Black students and for-profit students. Black borrowers, on average, owe 40% more than white borrowers. And students at for-profit colleges also owe 40% more than those that attend public and private schools. Fact number seven, who defaults on their student loans most often? This is a really important fact, because if you default on your student loans, it makes it very difficult for you to get loans to buy a car or a house later. And again, we're looking at the same population. Black borrowers. Borrowers... At for-profit schools, both default on their loans more than twice as much as other students. Fact number eight: this isn't just an undergraduate phenomenon. In fact, more than 50 percent of student debt in this country is owed by graduate school borrowers. They also tend to account for a higher share of people who owe 60, dollars 120,000 dollars. This sometimes is people who went to law school, went to medical school. Fact number nine: student debt cannot be measured by that first number that I gave you exclusively. It's not just about the 1.7 trillion in outstanding student loans. Student loans also shape moving decisions, marrying decisions, they delay adulthood. They make it harder for people to buy a car or a home or even launch a business. So the spillover effects, both in life and in the economy, of that $1.7 trillion student loan amount are pretty large. And finally, fact number 10, student debt is a problem. And some Democrats want to cancel it. And that brings us to the meat of today's episode. With Joe Biden's presidential agenda coming undone by the week, there are some Democrats like Elizabeth Warren and AOC that are urging the president to put student loan forgiveness front and center. They claim that the president has the legal ability, enshrined in the Higher Education Act of 1965, to wipe away any amount of student debt that he wants with a mere signature. Should Joe Biden cancel the debt? Can he cancel student debt? And what would happen if he did? I'm Derek Thompson. This is Plain English. Today's guest is Jordan Weissman. Jordan is a senior editor at Slate.com. He's also a writer on politics, economics, and public policy. Jordan used to write for The Atlantic, and then he left me. Jordan, hello. Thanks for having me, man. So Elizabeth Warren, other Democrats like AOC, they're talking about canceling student debt. What does this plan look like?
0: I mean, in short, it's really simple. it's It's that Joe Biden should just cancel the debt just with a pen, just on his own, unilaterally. that's and from there, we can get, you know, much more deep into the weeds. But that's really the long and the short of it. Warren has been arguing since her presidential campaign um, that the president essentially has the authority on their own to cancel all of the outstanding uh,
1: federal student loans that are currently on the books. So most of the time, the government is sending money to people. And obviously, if student debt is canceled, that's a little bit like sending money to people. You need Congress to do this, right? Like Biden's relief bill, $1,400 checks, that was a bill passed through Congress. You want to expand a tax credit for kids, that's a bill that has to go through Congress. But this is a very, very unusual case where Biden can arguably—I and I want to stress arguably, because it is an argument and not necessarily a point of legal fact— that Biden can just like wave the magic wand of executive power, as you said, take out the pen and cancel hundreds of billions of dollars of student debt by himself. How does that work? How is this something that Biden can do alone? That's that's a good question,
0: and there are some brilliant legal minds uh, in the Biden administration and outside of it uh, contemplating this right now. But so I, I want to say, let, kind of reemphasize what you said, which is this is one side of the argument, but. The Higher Education Act, kind of the the bill or the statute that sets up the federal student loan program has this provision in it, which basically gives the Department of Education the ability, the option to settle or compromise or essentially forgive, you know, some amount of student debt. Um, And what it doesn't say is it doesn't put any kind of a cap on it. It doesn't say you can forgive up to this amount. It doesn't say uh, in these circumstances, it just says you have, this ability, um, and it, this, you know, at one point, some legal scholars kind of noticed this this little feature of the law and said, "Hey, we think this gives the president the authority to just wipe out all of this debt." And then Elizabeth Warren went to some scholars at Harvard and got a legal opinion from them. And they said, yeah, we think this gives the president the ability to unilaterally get, uh, just clear out all of this debt. Um, and, you know, I, I should uh, qualify what I said before, which is that right now, you know, Democrats in Congress are calling for uh, President Biden to forgive up to $50,000 per person right? It's, they're not calling for all of the debt. But there have been very different versions of this argument made where, you know, some people on the left would like all of the debt to be wiped out. Uh, the, the I guess, center left version, we should say now, is to forgive up to $50,000 per debtor. Um, but the the core of it remains the same, which is that this is something
1: supposedly that Biden can just do on his own. The executive function here, the fact that Biden can do this on his own is really important because Biden is in a moment right now where he's had like a woke-up-on-the-wrong-side-of-bed-day that's lasted nine months. Other than Trump, his net approval rating is like the lowest of any president, I think, at this point, other than Harry Truman. His main piece of economic legislation, the Build Back Better bill, is on life support. We had Jim Fallows in the pod last week to talk us through the Democrats' voting rights bill, which failed to overcome a filibuster. You've got inflation in the economy. Omicron is doing his Omicron thing. Like It's not letting Biden off the hook entirely to say this is just a shitty time to be president because the universe is throwing one wrench after another. And if I'm the administration, I'm looking at all this thinking, what can we do that gets around the wrenches, that doesn't rely on Senator Manchin, Senator Cinema, Republican senators, Chinese supply chains, Omicron subvariants? What can we do alone by ourselves that can immediately help people and be politically popular? And this might be that something. So what is the latest you're hearing from people in the administration or around the administration about the state of student debt cancellation, I haven't
0: personally heard much. Uh, people I talked to in the administration haven't brought it up lately. And, but you know, I'm I'm not plugged into the very highest levels of Biden's inner circle. Um, here's here's where the debate is right now, publicly. Um, the Democrats in Congress, including Warren and and I should say um, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, are calling on Biden to do some sort of Student debt forgiveness up to $50,000. The Biden administration, a long while back, said it was going to produce a memo on whether or not it actually had the legal authority to do this. And we'll get into why there are some questions about it in a bit. But that was back in the spring. And since then, there's just been no real word of this, like what's actually in this memo, and so they're, they're, you're starting to hear this rallying cry of release the memo. It's sort of like the release the Snyder cut of uh, <laughs> student debt advocates right now. It's they want to hear they want Biden to release the memo and see what it says, and has the administration concluded that it does or doesn't have this authority? Um, and so that's that's where this argument about executive authority is at this moment.
1: Okay, let's build the case for and against student debt forgiveness. I want us to basically pretend to be like the defense attorney for this idea and then the prosecutor against this idea. And then later we'll render our our, uh, decisions as, as judges. But let's imagine that we are drafted as the lawyer who's tasked to represent the best possible argument for student debt forgiveness. Jordan, where would you begin?
0: Uh, do you want me to make an emotional argument or just like a, a, a really clinical argument? <laughs> Why don't you make
1: the emotional argument first and then you can make the clinical argument?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of people who feel like student debt's just crippled a generation, right? If If you've been paying 10% of your income or more or 15%, whatever percent, year after year, it's just exhausting, you know, especially given just... Everything else going on in the world—that's the emotional argument, right? It just feels like it's albatross uh, <laughs> on on a whole generation of Americans. You know uh, that that previous generations didn't really have to deal with. So the emotional side
1: is, yay, millennials, you did everything right. Here's your reward: one point seven trillion dollars worth of student loans. What is the clinical side? The clinical part of me
0: has, has tried to really think through this argument as, as as carefully as possible, and I think there are two ways you can frame it. There's one which is sort of this notion that you know, it's fundamentally unfair to make people pay for college, that like education should be a right. The other argument, which I personally feel is a little bit more compelling, is that in a lot of ways, the federal government has acted as sort of a predatory lender over the past 20, 30 years. The student loan program essentially gives out money to kids, 18-year-olds, no questions asked, right? You don't need a credit score. You don't really need anything. You just need to be going to school. And it doesn't even ask questions about the kind of school you're going to. So it will essentially lend anybody money to go to sort of a fly-by-night for-profit school, a not very good, you know, private school that charges way too much for the education it's offering to, you know, all sorts of institutions that don't necessarily offer students much bang for their buck and leave them off in some cases worse off than they were before they went to school. You know, famously, it's almost impossible I and mean, impossible might be overstating it, but it's extremely difficult to discharge your student loans in bankruptcy. Right. And so if you think about the federal government as sort of this, you know, predatory lender in some respects, then, yeah, there's it needs to make right by some people. It
1: needs to fix this situation. It's sort of created. So to summarize, number one, it's just wrong. Uh, College education is a necessary ticket into the middle class and upper middle class, and we shouldn't uh, force people to go deep into debt to access uh, the upper uh, middle class. Number two, it's an emotional and economic albatross on this generation, which previous generations have not necessarily had to suffer, And number three, I take your point that the government has essentially acted as a predatory lender, saddling people with debt for programs that weren't particularly good. So they were uh, buying fool's gold. They were going into debt for a degree that didn't actually help them in the labor force. I think those are pretty good from an economic and emotional standpoint. I would add to the case for student debt forgiveness uh, two political arguments. Number one, it's pretty good politics in an economic year When Biden is losing young voters, like Biden's net approval rating is lowest among people under 45, and it's plunging fastest for people under 30. Well, guess what's true about people under 45 and especially people under 30? They have the most student debt. They care the most about student debt. They are most likely to maybe support you or support your party if you are seen as canceling student debt. Number two, student debt burden is particularly high among non-white Americans, particularly among black Americans. And there is a debate within the Democratic Party that I know you're extremely familiar with between, I guess you could say, like the woke part of the Democratic Party, uh, the CRT part of the Democratic Party that talks a lot about racial inequity, and the sort of class-based socialism aspect of the Democratic Party, which says we should focus more on class than we should on race. Well, if you want to pass a law or achieve a policy that helps a class of Americans, but disproportionately helps black Americans, canceling student debt is a pretty good policy that achieves that end. Uh, According to the Brookings Institution, a think tank, four years after graduation, the average black college graduate owes $53,000 in debt compared to the average white graduate who owes $28,000 in debt. So those, I think, are two political arguments for the cancellation of student debt that you could sort of layer on top of the economic arguments that you laid out. Anything you want to add before we uh, throw off the defender 3 p suit and don the prosecutorial
0: suit uh, before I, we we try to to shred the arguments that we just laid out? Exactly. No, I mean I think I think it's a, it's worth emphasizing or, or re-emphasizing the point you just brought up about kind of racial equity and um, the disproportionate burden of student debt on on Black families, and I think that that's part of what's making this issue even more emotionally charged is that there's a sense among black college graduates that it's so hard for black people to get ahead in this country, period. Right. Right. <laughs> like we we put so many weights we, we put so many weights on on black people just to just to get into the middle class. Right. It just like it, it it's a fight. And then on top of it, once they go to college and they want to kind of secure their place in the middle class, they're going to end up with having to you know, take on even more loans that will be harder for them to kind of start saving and gener- and, and kind of creating the sort of generational wealth that white families already have because they have to borrow so much for school. That stat from the Brookings Institute, um, you quoted a lot of that, that increase in debt um, among Black people after graduation is because they have to borrow so much to go to grad school, which white people can kind of pay for with a combination of family support and um, you know other other financial resources. Uh, if if a Black person in America wants to gra- go to grad school, they are just much 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 more likely to go deep into debt, and and so I think again that this sense of unfairness is especially acute among Black voters.
1: So, all right. Now the other side of the argument, the best objections to a student debt jubilee. Uh, Let me get us started with a quick overview of what I consider the best objections, and then maybe you can fill in some of the details. Number one, what you're going to hear from economists, what you're going to hear from sort of the center left and center right, is that it is regressive, that most of the benefits from a student debt cancellation will go to the top 50%, maybe even the top 20, 30% of earners. Uh, One reason for that is that a lot of people who graduate from college turn out to be high income. In fact, that's one of the reasons to go to college, is to earn more. And so if you forgive student debt, you might be disproportionately rewarding white-collar workers, doctors, lawyers, people that have taken on student debt and now are earning $100,000, $200,000. Number two, it doesn't do much in the long term to solve the underlying problem of rising college costs. If you have a one-time jubilee, a one-time cancellation of student debt, how are you solving the problem for someone who starts college this September? How are we solving the problem for people who start college any time in the next decade? You're, you're not. You just have this extremely acute solution to a chronic problem. Number three, people will say, oh, it's unfair to people that have already paid back their loans or never went to college. You're going to uh, needlessly anger those that have gone through the student loan repayment process. And finally, I think that clicks into a political argument against student debt cancellation, um, that a lot of outstanding debt, as I've already pointed out, is held by doctors, lawyers, um, high-earning white-collar workers, And that might be a political liability. Uh, You can imagine Fox News in a world where Joe Biden wields the power of the pen and cancels student debt, saying Republicans are the party of small business owners, carpenters, miners, people who never went to college, salt of the earth, and Democrats, this party of the college elite, are just handing out a trillion dollars to people with student debt from going to college. That's unfair. They are especially benefiting people who aren't you. Tell me which of those issues strikes you and, and what you want to build on if we're uh, building the objections to the student debt jubilee.
0: <laughs> You're making me pick one? Um, so I've written, <laughs> I mean... I've I've written about all these objections at some point or another, and I I should say my, and will reveal where I stand on student debt cancellation near the end of this episode, I'm sure. But I, I, you know, I've gone back and forth on this issue over time, and in part because of all the things you've, you mentioned here. I mean, it, it doesn't take a lot to imagine like the face that Tucker Carlson would make as he does a segment on this right well he like, only has
1: one face uh, so in in, in fact is is very easy to imagine the, the the furrowed brow and the the eyebrows right? touching each other in the middle it's of the a, face yes it's like joe biden wants
0: to forgive 350,000 dollars of debt for this neurosurgeon meanwhile right. you're working hard down at the car wash to, right, like the, at the you know to to it's just like it 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 doesn't you don't have to think very far to uh, or hard, you don't have to think very hard to, to figure out how it's going to play in, in certain audience with certain audiences, and you know I think if you look at the polling on student debt forgiveness, and I'm I'm going to admit it I haven't I haven't checked it too recently. There's probably been more polls on this since the last time, I was, but it pretty consistently gets like a, above 50% approval right from the general public. It, it polls pretty decently. It polls better than like the giant tax cut that Republicans passed back when Donald Trump was in office, you know, it's not a bad issue overall, if you take issue polling seriously. The problem is, it's probably going to generate really strong feelings among certain, you know, on on both sides, like the people who are happy with it are going to be thrilled, right? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. it changes their financial lives, but the people who are unhappy about it, I mean, you can imagine sort of like a, a new, I mean, even even more so than already exists, you can imagine sort of like an angry Tea Party esque reaction to this, right? Like, you know, mag, you know, this could be like a, a central issue for you know, maga for maga America, um, and so it's you know, politically it's it's tough, right? It, it could make young voters happy, but it could also just usher in a backlash and it's hard to predict exactly how that's going to play out. You can just kind of guess at
1: it. Um, Could you talk a little bit about the regressive aspect? Because this is something you talk to a lot of economists and uh, this is an issue that I would say centrist and center left economists talk about a lot. That what Democrats should do, capital D Democrats should do, is pass Policies that are progressive—that is to say, that the policy disproportionately helps those at the bottom of the income ladder—but canceling student debt is disproportionately benefiting people that often have graduated from college and therefore are higher earning. And so, this might be a regressive policy. It might benefit the rich more than the poor. Just, to, just why don't you spell out a little bit more about like what that argument is and and even how much it connects to you? I I think I think it you're you're
0: spelling it out pretty well right like I mean I can go through the numbers and I, I should say it's actually we, we know shockingly little about how student debt is really distributed like who really holds it like our data on student debt are are just terrible like it's it's like i there for a long time we didn't like the Department of Education had just like never even published how much it collected in, in student loan payments every year like it just it didn't publish that statistic you would think Jesus. that would be yeah i the I, I had to like dig and fight and like beg the, the Department of Education to tell me what that number was. And eventually they did. But like, you know, it's just like, that's just a small example. But in general, yes. If you look at, you know, w- one study uh, that I liked kind of suggested that the top 40% of earners probably hold about 60% of the student debt, right? So cancel if you canceled all of the debt right? It would probably be a bit regressive, like you're saying. Like you know, People at the top would benefit a bit more than people at the bottom. Uh, the reason why that, that argument doesn't totally connect with me anymore is because you don't have to cancel all of the debt. You could, I mean, you could means test it. You could say we're canceling debt for people who make under X amount. Uh, you could say we're canceling up to X amount, like up to $10,000 or up to $20,000 or up to $50,000. And what that would do is it would prevent you know, essentially what it would do is it would forgive the debts of a lot of people who maybe spent one or two years at a for-profit school and, you know, dropped out and didn't do very well, or who went to a a public college because that's what they could afford. Um, It would wipe out a lot of those debts, but it wouldn't wipe out the entire debts of people who went to an Ivy League law school, right? Like it would, so it would sort of act as a version of means testing. There are ways around that issue. Um, To me, you know, the big, you know, there are ways you can make it kind of essentially a middle class tax cut and in a lot of ways that's what student debt is right it's a tax hmm. so you could turn this into a middle tax a middle class tax cut essentially but again it it the the real problem is the politics right it, it's because the word debt is involved and because some people actually have paid these debts back it just it adds this emotional element to it on the for and against side that's just it's kind of hard to predict and it's hard to grapple with
1: All right. I've done my best to represent uh, the case for the case against. Um, I think I know where I come down on this. But Jordan, where do you come down on this? (sighs) I mean, I think that, (laughs) look, if Joe Biden is in
0: his. The second half of his first term and can't pass anything else, I think it would be worth considering trying it at least. I think there's a good chance that if he went for it, the Supreme Court would knock it down. We haven't really talked about the legal case against it, which I think is very important. And I think people kind of need to maybe lower their expectations here. Um, But if if he's kind of finished out his period where he can actually legislate, right, like if if we if Democrats lose control
1: of Congress, I see no reason why he couldn't give it a shot. I think I basically agree where I come down on this, having spent a few days doing my best to familiarize myself with the cases for and against is. This is a B or B- minus plan, canceling, say, $10,000 in debt. I don't think, I think once you get to canceling $50,000, $100,000, I think it starts to become a little bit wonky and preferential for the doctors and lawyers in the world. But the Biden plan of canceling $10,000 in debt for all borrowers, a plan that would cost about $380 billion, which is a lot, but it's not in the trillions, would It's a B to B minus plan in essentially a C plus world, right? We don't have the option of, it seems to me, passing a big bill that fixes higher education in one fell swoop. And we don't also have the option of, at this point, passing the Build Back Better Plan or Voting Rights Act that Biden wants to pass with larger congressional majorities. So if this is basically the best that he can do to be seen as trying to help the American middle class, then it's better to help the American middle class than to not help them. So I think that's where I finally come down is that I I do lightly support the Biden version of this plan. Is there any other important aspect of uh, student debt cancellation that I haven't asked about or that people are missing? You know, about the idea of just canceling $10,000
0: of debt. You know, some people hear that and they're like, oh, that's nothing because they think of like these huge student debt balances. Like they think of all these, you know, people with $100,000 in loans. Well, what about them? But you know, if you look at all 42 million Americans who actually have student debt right now, about a third of them have balances below 10,000. Right. So, if you were to wipe that, I mean, you would, you would, and then another 20% have balances between uh, 10,000 and 20,000. So, if you were to cancel 10,000 of it, you would be essentially wiping out all to half of the debt for about. 50 percent of borrowers. I mean, that's or a little bit more than 50 percent of borrowers. So that would be it would do significant amounts of good um, to if Biden were to actually enact, you know, his plan by executive action. But that gets us back to this question. you said, is there anything else people need to know about student debt forgiveness that we haven't really talked about? And that's the legal case against it, why it might not work, why the Supreme Court might just slap it down. And I'm, I'm not a constitutional lawyer, but I occasionally talk to them I'm not a lawyer. I know I know a very little bit. Um, but, you know, the problem is that this would be a, we should say, creative reading of the statutes that exist right now. No one actually thinks that, you know, Congress wrote this part of the Higher Education Act with the idea in mind that some president would come along and cancel all of the loans. You know, it was really meant for you know, settling individual debts when someone had defaulted and they were trying to collect in court and if they were trying to arrive at some sort of settlement, right? And so the question is, could the administration then go and creatively leverage this vaguely written statute to then do this massively important economic thing? And the Supreme Court recently, and we, we've seen a little bit of this in the recent uh, case on on workplace vaccination mandates, the Supreme Court is really kind of souring on that idea, that they actually want to stop, this conservative Supreme Court we have wants to stop presidents from being able to take this kind of bold executive action based on vaguely worded statutes. And there's, it's actually, this is a major, major issue. If you talk to constitutional lawyers right now and, and in the entire legal world, how they are trying to essentially kind of, kind of, they're trying to rein in the executive. They're trying to Prevent administrative agencies from kind of doing these sort of these sorts of things. Um, and, you know, that what the way, you know, Antonin Scalia once put it very famously is that the that the Supreme Court does not allow the federal government to put elephants through mouse holes. That was his <laughs> that was this kind of memorable phrase for it. And the, the idea is that you can't use like a tiny little like vague part of a law to try and then enact massive economic change. And that that more and more seems to be, be becoming the sort of philosophy of the court. And so it seems very likely that the court would treat this as an elephant trying to be put, like, they would treat this as Biden trying to push an elephant through a mouse hole and say, no, you you can't just use this one little line in this law to try and erase $1.6 trillion worth of debt.
1: Yeah, I think we can both agree that no matter where you stand on this issue, the president and his secretary of education unilaterally handing out up to a trillion dollars through the cancellation of student debt is definitely putting an elephant through a mouse hole. You could argue it's it's necessary to shove elephants through mouse holes because nothing is happening in Congress. We can't pass laws anymore because the filibusters become an endemic virus in American politics. But this is not exactly how the original education bill uh, was intended. I want to close on America in the world of education. Like How exceptional is American student debt because it seems to me that there are a lot of other countries that are as rich as us or poorer than us that don't quite seem to have the same student debt crisis that we do. Are we the only country that treats education this way? We're not the only country
0: where, where, where students go into debt for higher education. There are parts of Scandinavia. There are, you know, Australia people take on loans. Um, you know, we're not the only country in the world that's like this. Um that, and there are also downsides, you know, to be in a country where higher education is essentially entirely state-funded and free or close to it. Uh, you know, a lot of European university systems are sort of like mezza-mezza. They're not great. Like, one upside to the U.S. system is that a lot of money goes into higher education. And we have, like, great research institutions partly because of it. Um, it's also in part because we spend a lot of federal funding on, on research at these universities. But it's also just because... You know, they they can explore and find other revenue streams and and get revenue from students. Um, so there are there are upsides you know, in terms of like quality of, of of the schools to what we do. That said, there there are, you know, other countries have found more sane ways to run student debt programs. like that's that's something is like our student debt program is just like horribly it's just like a bureaucratic nightmare to deal with, right? That's part of what makes it so charged. is like trying to pay your loans is hard in a lot of cases if you ever have to deal with a student debt servicer. um, whereas, like, in Australia, famously, you know, they have this system where everyone kind of pays a, a percentage of their income for X number of years and then they get the rest forgiven. Right. And just everyone does that. And and for a long time, I thought it would be good for the U.S. to go to, you know, we have debt payment programs like that. You can choose to do something like that, but they're complicated. A lot of people don't know about them. You're not automatically put in it. I mean, as with everything in the U.S. states, it just involves a lot of confusion and paperwork. And so we, I think there would be ways to simplify and make our student debt system a lot more fair um, that are also not quite so galaxy-brained. They're actually just like what other countries do. Um, so, yeah, we, we could try to follow, like, the you know, social democratic model of just, you know, funding schools directly so they don't have to charge tuition, or we could just make a less insane student debt system, period. And it just there isn't really much effort to do either right now, which is what's frustrating. And so why I'm sort of sitting here saying, yeah, if nothing comes of it, then maybe Biden should just try to (laughs) break out the pen and see if the Supreme
1: Court will let him. Jordan Weissman, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Plain English with Derek Thompson is produced by Devin Manzi. If you like what you hear, please follow, rate, and review us. New episode drops on Tuesday. Have a great weekend.